And welcome to the Employment Law Show. Good to have you along again today. John Scholes here along with Lior Sanfiru, employment lawyer. Want to reach out anytime. That was the number, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, which, by the way, is the email address we will be going through. And you can use anytime as we uh, clean out some of the inbox. They've been stacking up, so we want to read out a bunch of these on air and uh, maybe get some uh, some ideas in your head, get you thinking a little bit about your employment law rights. Uh, and if you want to call, which you should be every week as well, to ask your questions live on air. doesn't matter if you're in Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver. It's toll-free, 1-877-399-9898. Again, 1-877-399-9898 to join the show and have your uh, questions answered here by the pros, or at least the pro, one of them, Lior. He's ready to uh, he's ready to rock and roll, but you always start off with a couple things you want to discuss for the week that was, pal. What do you got? Hey, John, always great, always exciting. Always pumped to be here to talk about employment law and make sure that uh, we are ending the weekend on a high note and a good note so that when you're going back to work tomorrow, you'll know what to do if you're facing a workplace problem. You'll be more informed about those legal rights and you're not going to walk away from entitlements that you have. That's really the name of the game. It's great to have good laws, which we really do. But it's a completely different thing to be aware of what those laws are, to be aware of our rights. And by listening to the show, you'll know what your rights are on employment law with respect to your job. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're being mistreated. Maybe your job is changing. Maybe you don't think your boss is uh, on the level and, and doing things that the way they were supposed to. Well, if you have any issue, good time to, uh, to deal with that is right now to call us so I can help you and give you the information so you know what to do and you know how the law uh, works. And of course, to take that next step, when and if you want to, to reach me in the office, uh, easy to do. Uh, we'll give you that contact information throughout the show so we can have a private chat and I can get to work to help you. But now that we know that, let me tell you about a couple of situations that came across mm-hmm. my desk over the past week. I spoke uh, with a gentleman who uh, had a very uncomfortable conversation with his employer uh, early in the week. Uh, he was called into a meeting and he was told by his boss, Listen, uh, no easy way to put it, but we just don't feel that your role is a good fit for you anymore. I know you've been doing it for about three years. We just don't think that's a good fit for you. Uh, So uh, we're taking that role away. You're not going to be doing that job anymore. So here's what that means. We're going to give you two options. We'd like for you to stay. We're going to give you this other job. Yes, it's a lower level job. Yes, it's less pay, but we think you'll do great. Or option number two, of course, if you don't like that, you can just go ahead and, and resign and we'll accept your resignation. <laughs> and please give us an answer within a week as to what you prefer. So at, at least he did the smart thing, the right thing. Within that week, what he did is he called me and we had a nice long chat. And here's what I told him. There is no such thing as do what we want you to do or quit. No, never. Company doesn't get to decide if you quit, they don't get to decide that if you don't do something, you have to quit. There's no such thing ever as having to quit. Only the employee can decide if they want to quit. Now, with respect to this demotion that they were telling him, no, he doesn't have to accept the demotion. He doesn't have to tell them that he wants to be demoted and, and they don't have a right to demote him. So he can absolutely tell them, guys, I'm choosing none of the above. I am choosing no demotion and I'm not choosing to leave. I'm going to continue in my job. Once he does that, they can either back off and leave him be, or if they want, they can let him go with severance. But that is not a resignation. What they were trying to do is if he leaves, they were trying to save themselves a bunch of money in severance. Well, no, that's not going to happen. 
So if they want him gone, they have to let him go. It's going to be a without cause termination. They have to pay him his full severance. For him, that's about six months of pay. Could even be a bit more than that. That's a significant amount of compensation that he is owed. So I wanted to remind everyone that if you're ever told, do this, whatever this is, or you, you can resign, mm-hmm. no, that's nonsense. You never have to resign. And you don't have to agree to something that the company doesn't have a right to do. They can't demote you. They can't reduce your pay. They don't have a right to do that. So why would you accept it? So if you're ever given that type of an ultimatum, give me a call. Let's talk about that because, no, that is not right at all. And again, don't hold back. If you have questions here live this uh, this hour, bring them on. We're ready to go. Lines are open. Lots of them. One eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. That number is toll free to join the show uh, right now. What else you got going on, Leo? So over the past week, just this last week alone, John, I've spoken probably right around thirty people. Thirty people so contacted my office that were all let go as being short service employees. Right around a year service or even less than a year between you know a few months to a year of service and in all those situations i'm telling you without any exception they they were offered anywhere from one to four weeks of severance Mm -hmm. and that's it and our listeners may say well wait a second what's the problem with that if someone worked for a few months and they were offered one two maybe even four weeks that's pretty good right what's the problem with that no 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 not even close not at all Remember, short service employees, employees with you know three, four years or less than that, are treated disproportionately better when it comes to severance in comparison to longer service employees. So those employees, these individuals that have been working for less than a year, their severance is going to be measured in months, not in days, not in weeks, but in months. And in fact, most of them were owed anywhere from two to six months of severance. Some of them, the length of severance that they were owed was greater than the length of their employment. So I got 30 of those people this week alone contact my office. I think a lot of employers may have hired employees at the beginning of the year. Now they're kind of shedding those employees. So if you're in that situation, if you're a short service employee, please understand if you're let go, your severance is not a week or two, three, or even four weeks. Your severance probably starts at two months, and it's probably much more than that. So if you want to know what you're owed, give me a call. Of course, that doesn't just apply to short service employees. It applies to any yeah. employees. But it always bothers me when there's this assumption that the short service employee gets almost nothing by way of severance. Well, I have 30 examples from this week alone where that's simply not true. Yeah, and the assumptions on both sides. I mean, the employers think, ah, it's okay. He's only been here uh, you know, a year. I need to give him a couple of weeks. But then the people who, who are being like goalie are figured, yeah, it can't be more than that. I've only been there a year. I'm lucky to get two, three weeks tops, right? Exactly, and that's the thing. So someone that, that's been let go after 30 years is more likely to seek advice because they figured, you know, after 30 yeah. years, I must be owed something significant. And they'd be right. But the same applies to those individuals that have worked not for 30 years, but three months. Even in that situation, you have significant entitlements. And I know for a fact, oftentimes, these these individuals don't pick up the phone. They don't get that advice because they Mm -hmm. assume, well, I probably am owed nothing. Well, wrong. And I I think we're spreading the word there, John, you and I through this show, because I'm, I'm seeing more people like that contact my office. So if that's you, do the right thing, call or email, and let's make sure you get what you're owed. 
And again, guys, whether you're in Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver listening right now live, we are live, so you can call in and ask your questions, anything to do with your job life. Just don't hold back. Bring it on. It's toll-free, of course, one 9898 We'll get to our first emails. We're getting through the inbox today in between our phone calls, so feel free to listen in and uh, send one along, too. Paul is up first, says, uh, guys, my company just eliminated their mandatory vaccine policy, but haven't called me back to work. I've been off for eight months, Lior. What are my rights? You know, I've been actually getting calls and emails like that very often over the past uh, couple of months because uh, a lot of companies put uh, put out uh, vaccine policies, you know, over the last year. And many times employees who weren't vaccinated were, were either let go or put on a leave. Well, now companies are getting rid of these uh, policies. So I still have employees calling me saying, well, my company says there's no longer mandatory vaccines in the workplace, but they haven't called me back to work. I've been off, been waiting, I've been, you know, really patient all this time. Why am I not back to work? So here's how this works. First of all, the employees that were put on the leave didn't actually have to wait. They could have treated their employment as being terminated and gotten severance when the leave first happened. But that aside, if you decided, okay, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to sit at home and wait to be called back to work. Now that that leave is off, or it's not the leave, not that the vaccine policy is gone, your employer needs to take you back to work. And if they don't, it's a termination. Now, you don't have to wait. You don't have to give them a few months to figure things out. Hmm. You don't have to sit by the phone waiting that that phone call is going to come calling you back to work. If that policy is gone, the vaccine policy is gone, and you're not back to work right away, that's a termination. You don't have to accept it. You can now make the decision yourself. So in this situation, I'm going to tell them, you've been off for eight months. Enough is enough. Let's yeah. get you that severance. Let's move on so you don't have to wait anymore. Yeah, we are back and so good to have you along on the show today. Whether you're in Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver, you have the opportunity to get some free advice, answer some, get some answers, uh, some questions answered rather for uh, for no problem. Toll free as a matter of fact, that number to call into the show, bring you on air with us is one 9898 John Skulls here along with Lior Sanfiru from Sanfiru to Market LLP. And the email address we're pulling from on the show today is help at employment lawyer.ca daryl is up next as uh, i was just given a termination letter that offers me 26 weeks severance after 13 years of my company now the hr manager says that two weeks severance per year is standard does it make sense to contact you in these circumstances someone's been listening well i'm glad he is listening but here's yep. you know what i'm going to start off by saying that i may not say that this is a bad employer or an employer that's out to get this person. I'll I'll give the employer the benefit of the doubt here only because so many people believe, so many employers and employees believe that there's this rule, this this standard uh, thing of two weeks severance per year of service. So I see that often. And so someone may think, well, 13 years of service, we're going to give someone 26 weeks, that's six months, that's good enough, that's two weeks per year of service, what else is there? Well, even though I understand that's something people believe, that is completely and totally and 100% false, it's wrong, it is not the law, it's not even close to being the law, so let's be very, very clear, there is no rule, if, if I haven't said it enough, I'll say it one more time, there is no rule of a week or two weeks per year of service. In most cases, you're owed significantly more. In fact, in this particular situation, this person after 13 years is is going to be owed north of 12 months severance. Now, I don't know his age and I don't know uh, the type of job necessarily, 
but it's not going to be less than 12 months. And if he's older or has a more senior position, it could easily be 18 months as well. Mm -hmm. So that's why we get legal advice. That's why we go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and use that severance calculator to find out the real amount. Now, if this person hadn't contacted us after 13 years, he would have taken six months severance. That's half, half of what he is owed. So that's why we do this show. And employers may think that they know what's the, what the law is. That doesn't mean that they do. In fact, in most cases, they don't. That's why you call me. That's why we make sure you get everything you're owed. It's not up to your employer to do your work for you. When it comes to losing your job, you have to make sure that you get what you're owed. That's up to you. That's interesting to say that. Do you find in, 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 in the last 20 years, Lior, you know, HR people, HR managers, do they actually know just trying to shortchange it or are they ignorant to it? They don't actually know the law. And they're like, oh, wow, thanks for telling me sort of thing. You know, it really does depend. There's, there's plenty yeah. of managers and, and employers that are hoping to kind of get away with it. But there's an equally large number of managers, employers that don't necessarily know. They haven't done the homework properly. And maybe they've been doing it certain, uh, uh, certain things a certain way for a long time. And no one actually called them on it. So they assumed mm, right. that it was correct. Well, uh, either way, though, regardless of whether your employer is in the first camp or the second camp, it's still up to you, the employee, to make sure you get what you're owed. Because once you sign on that piece of paper, it's done. It's too late. You can't change your mind. So you call me. You go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Use the severance calculator. You do that before you sign, not after. Again, guys, live, lots of time here to call in, whether you're in uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, we welcome you into the show. And that's uh, toll-free, 1-877-399-9898. There's no dumb questions, especially when it comes to your work life. It could be a lifesaver, as a matter of fact, when you get the right answer, take a couple minutes and uh, and call the show. Dana, next one up, says, Hey, Lior, I've been off on a stress leave for two months, but don't want to go back to work because I'm afraid of how I will be treated. What do I do? <laughs> so if you think about it, uh, what Dana's employer uh, is is uh, you know doing here is potentially mistreating her to the point of uh, of now making her want to come back to work. And and we all have rights. Let's be very clear. Every single employee has the right to work in a harassment-free work environment, uh, not to be bullied and and to be, be treated properly and with respect. We all have that right. Now, if she believes that her employer is not doing that. That could be a constructive dismissal. I mean, she could get severance. Now, she doesn't have to go back to work. She can simply decide not to return. Mm-hmm. But if she, what she wants actually to is to get severance, then I need to have some proof, some way to prove that she was mistreated or that she's being harassed or bullied. We need to have the ability to prove that. The employer is never going to admit that. We know that. So if she has the proof, we're ready to go. If not, what I would tell Dana is this. Go back to work, Okay. But start documenting things. If you're yeah. if you're right and you're not treated properly, let's cre- let's have something. We're confirming what happened. Create yeah. that record. It's not going to take long, and then I can then help you. That could be a constructive dismissal. It could even potentially be a human rights violation. It's something that allows you to to, to be out of there with compensation. But otherwise, if you don't have that proof and you simply don't go back, that would be considered a resignation. Don't resign without speaking to me. Let's talk about how we get you back there, but build the case so but then you are so when you are ready to leave, you get compensated. 
Always like getting our callers on the air, one 9898 Dan, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, what's your question, pal? Yeah, no, I was just curious. I, I was, uh, uh, what's his name there, said there is no law, but there is guidelines under employment standards, is there not, about severance? So the empl- employment standards only outlines the minimum that someone is entitled to. That's only a small fraction right, of think, what you wrote. So, okay, but I think you, you should really refer to that when you say there is no law, there's guidelines. But I get it, you're trying to drum up business. So, no, no, that's uh, not at all what I'm doing. No, I, I, well, no, you are. Let's, let's, be, let's be fair. Let's be okay, so, so, let, so let me tell you, let me ask you a question. What, what would you say uh, uh, an engineer makes a year in bc on average let's say an engineer Give in bc a... would make anywhere yeah. from 120 to 150 thousand dollars depending on the discipline and right. the background and experience but but wait a second minimum wage is 15 dollars an hour so why can't we say that they should be paid 15 dollars an hour do you no, see but what i'm I not mean? stretching it it's that irrelevant. far you're using that it's, it's you're using irrelevant. that as an inflam you're using that as an inflammatory uh one-off no then i'm just telling you that the minimum is irrelevant uh, unless you sign an employment agreement that limits you to the minimum. It's, it's, it's not relevant. It has nothing to do with anything. The but law why, makes why other it, determinations. Why is, it, why, why is it there then? And you, when you blatantly say there is no law, yes, there are guidelines, but employment standards is a pretty thick book. And you're basically saying that's, that's a crock what's in the employment standards. Well, no, I'm not saying it's a crock, Dan. I'm saying that it's well, you're, not you're, you're relevant. not acknowledging it. You're not I'm saying, saying that it's, it's not, not relevant. relevant. I'm saying so, it's not so relevant. Not, I don't need some, to confuse some, people, Dan. By, by, I don't need to some, confuse people by telling them that they need to look at something that's not relevant to them because that's how people get the wrong information and accept inadequate packages. So I don't think you would want your relative, your friends, your family to accept inadequate packages. So I don't want anyone else to. And employment standards is not relevant because it only outlines minimum entitlements, just like minimum wage. Yeah, it's interesting. The minimum wage, like you said, would not be relevant if you're going for an engineering job. Oh, but I could pay you 15. Yeah, but it's not relevant. I'm an engineer. You're not going to pay me that, nor would I work for that much money. So why would you refer to just that if you're looking for your severance, right? Yeah, it's like saying, well, there, there's a law that engineers make $15 an hour. Well, I guess, but it's not relevant <laughs> because no one does. So it's the same thing. Uh, so no, there, there really isn't. When it comes to your full entitlements, there isn't a law that says two weeks per year of service. Uh, so because of that, everything we say on this show is completely true. It's completely fact. It's the law. It's not an opinion. It's not about drumming up business. It's about the law. Yep. Welcome back to it. And uh, yeah, you were encouraged to call with the remaining time. Ask your questions. Yeah, toll free one 9898 to reach out to Lior through email, which we're reading through on the show today, it's uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca and just employmentlawyer.ca. The firm website will lead you to uh, past shows as well as our TV show, which has been running for several years as well. You can check that out in 30 minute episodes. So there you go again, employmentlawyer.ca. Back to our email. Stevie's up next. These guys have been working for my employer for the last five years. They just told me that my job will end in six months. But in the meantime, my hours will be reduced from 40 to 30 a week. Can they do that? So an employer is allowed to give advance notice. We call this working notice of the termination of employment. And that amount of notice counts towards the employee's severance. So if someone is owed eight-month severance and they get six months notice of the termination of their employment, 
That means that when employment comes to an end, the employer has to pay the difference, an extra two months in that example. But during that notice period, the same rules apply that an employer can't just make significant changes to the terms of employment. So anytime an employer reduces pay from 40 hours or reduces hours from 40 to 30 a week, I'm assuming they're reducing the pay in a a corresponding way. That's a huge change. Of course, they Mm. cannot do that. So that results in a constructive dismissal. So the same rule applies in the notice period when you're working out your your, uh, final notice of employment that applies in any time. If your employer makes significant changes, you can treat that as a termination and get severance. You don't have to stay there, in this case, for the full six months, because your employment, by reducing your hours, has terminated you effective immediately. So you can leave now and get severance. So this person, you know, six months may have been an appropriate amount of notice for him, but the fact that the employer reduced his hours means too bad. That's a constructive dismissal now. He can get severance now. He doesn't have to stay there for six months. Now, remember, it's not every change to the terms of employment that results in a constructive dismissal. Mm-hmm. It has to be a significant change. When it comes to pay, usually we're looking at 15% or more reduction that results in a constructive dismissal. But it could be a change in hours, to shifts. It could even be a demotion. A demotion could be embarrassing. So it absolutely could be a constructive dismissal. So if you're faced... With that type of change, we should talk about it uh, as soon as possible. So you're saying employers do, to a certain extent, have a little bit of leeway with with changes in the uh, employment? Yes. So whenever we're talking constructive dismissal, we're talking about a, a significant change, a meaningful change. An employer does have some ability and some discretion to make some more minor changes. So listen, if your employer reduces your hours from 40 to 39, as an example, you're not going to be very happy about that, perhaps. But it's the type of change that's minor enough that the employer can do. But certainly in the, in the email that we got going from 40 to 30, not yeah. even possible. No, ch- no chance. Same thing with hours of work. If you're instead of working 9 to 5, you're going to be working 9.30 to 5.30. Well, again, you may not be happy because you like your schedule. But, yeah, your employer can do that. But if instead of 9 to 5, you're going to have now to work 12 to 8, no, that's a big deal. That's a big change. That's absolutely constructive dismissal. So if you're facing a change, if you don't know if it quite rises to the level of a constructive dismissal or if it's an acceptable change, just call me. I can talk to you about it, and I'll let you know exactly what it does or what it doesn't do. Yep, and call us here now as well, toll-free. Uh, get on air, one 399 to do that. Uh, working our way down to Ron. Ron says, uh, just came back from a disability leave. I got into a small accident at work. My company now says it doesn't believe that I'm healthy enough to work, even though I am. Is there anything that I could do? What should I do? So, you know, an employer does have a responsibility, certainly, to make sure that the employee is able physically to do the job, that they're they're going to do the job and not put themselves or others at risk. Of course, an employer should always be aware and sure of that. But whether the employee is able to do that or not, is not something the employer can decide, and it's not something the employee can decide. The only one that can decide that is the employee's doctor. So all Ron has to do here is to provide a note from his doctor saying, I've been cleared to, to return to work, that Ron has been cleared to go back to work. That's it. That's all it needs to say. It doesn't need to say why he was cleared, what medication he was taken, or what, what therapy and treatments he received in order to go back to work. No just that he's been cleared and he can do the job. 
Once Ron gives that note to his to his employer, the employer can't question that. They can't uh, decide that they don't believe it or they want a second opinion. There's no basis for that. If the employer, oh sorry, if the doctor says to the employer, "Yeah, this person is fine to go back to work," that's all that matters. By the same token, maybe Ron is able to go back to work, but he needs some help, some accommodation. Maybe he can't necessarily do the job exactly the way he did. Maybe he needs some modified uh, duties or modified hours, works less hours, etc. Get the doctor to say that as well. If a doctor says, Ron needs some accommodation, here's what that accommodation is. The employer needs to try to find a way to, to make it happen. They need to make all efforts, all efforts to provide that accommodation. So it's very important to remember your doctor is very powerful. And anytime your employer questions your doctor, that's a, that's a problem. It's probably illegal. When that uh, you know question of, of accommodation comes, it's a, it's a pretty high threshold for employers. I guess it's even more so the more resources, bigger the company. But they can't just say, ah, oh, no, man, we just don't feel like doing it. Well, I, I, I'm sure that most employers are not you know eager and itchy to just go off and, and provide accommodation, modified duties, and, and hours. I get that. But the law makes it very clear under our human rights legislation, an employer has to accommodate even if it's difficult. Even if it costs some money, even if it causes some problems, they still have to find a way to do it. Now, yes, of course, at some point it may become too difficult or too costly that it's just not possible to to provide that accommodation. Mm-hmm. So sure, an employer doesn't have to go to the point where they're, they're suffering big losses because of this accommodation. The problem, though, John, is that most employers – well, okay, I'll take a step back. I'm not going to say most employers. I'm going to say that some employers uh, don't try hard enough. Okay, some employers uh, don't actually get to the point that they need to before they say, no, no, yeah. this is too much. We don't want to accommodate. And if an employer does that, they don't try hard enough, that's a human rights violation. That's illegal. So an employer has to accommodate, and it all starts, of course, with that doctor's note. Reaching out to Lior, by the way, discuss these matters. If you're in this sort of uh, pickle, no problem, one 821 5900 for any matter. Uh, in that regard, help at employmentlawyer.ca, the email you can use and we're using uh, today as well. Elizabeth's up next says, hey, Lior, I've had uh, two surgeries over the past 10 months and had to miss work for a few weeks each time. When I came back, my employer told me that I have exhausted all my leave days and I can't take any more time off. What happens if I need to miss more work for medical reasons? So if you think about it, John, what her employer is telling her is that, yeah, we're forbidding you from getting sick again. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah. No more sick for you, okay? You're not going to get sick. Because uh, so, if you do, you're going to have a problem with us. Well, obviously that's ridiculous because no one wants to get sick and no one chooses whether they want to get sick. And if it happens, it happens. So because of that, there is no such thing as exhausting your ability to be off work. You can be off work as long as you need to. and As long as you have your doctor's support, as long as you need to to get better. Maybe that's a week. Maybe that's a month. Maybe that's a year. Or, frankly, maybe that's longer than a year. As long as you're legitimately sick and you have a doctor's note, you can be off work. And you're not losing your job just because of that. That's not considered a resignation. You can't be punished because you're sick. And an employer that says, well, okay, you've exhausted your your, uh, time, so you're gone. That's a human rights violation. That could be a, a wrongful dismissal. It could be breach of employment standards. So it's not legal. An employer has to allow her to be off work. And when she's ready to come back to work, see if he can bring her back. Make all efforts to bring her back, in fact. So don't worry about it, I would tell her. Get that doctor's note. Anything your employer does to you, 
in that situation would not be legal. There's no such thing as exhausting your time off. Yeah, it's amazing that an employer would have that opinion, especially based on what's happened in the last two and a half years. Honestly, like, really? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, what, what we've gone through as a, as a community, as a society over the past couple of years, it's crazy to think that employers would do that. But I see that happening still. And maybe yeah. some of it has to do with the, the idea that, you know, we don't believe you. We think you're a malingerer. But that's why you don't have to believe the person. That's why we have doctor's note. If you're not sure if the person is telling you the truth, ask for a doctor's note. And that's where it ends. That's a good idea. one 399 Welcoming all of our listeners each week from Calgary and Edmonton and uh, Vancouver uh, joining us here on the show. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, you're going to love Brady's email. Or this one's a good one. Talk about this all the time. He says, uh, just curious if it's correct that I'm an independent contractor. I'm a truck driver. And I work for one logistics company, and they own the truck. Yeah, you're right. I, I do like this question because I've received it many times, and it's a, mm-hmm. an issue that always comes up with truckers. I'm sure we have a bunch of truckers right now. They're on the road listening to us on the radio and wanting to understand, are they truly independent contractors? Well, oftentimes I find that truckers have been misclassified as independent contractors where the law really would consider them to be employees and that's true whether you drive the truck or sorry where you whether you own the truck or whether the company that you work for owns the truck either way chances are you've been misclassified if you work for one company and they tell you what to do where to go uh and you know from week to week that's exactly what happens guess what you're an employee of that company an independent contractor would be someone that decides when to work or when not to work where to go and what companies to work for, and, and they can do that as they as they want. Uh, that's not likely not common with truck drivers. So chances are you are, in fact, an employee, despite the fact that you've probably been doing this for a while as a contractor or that you pay your taxes as a contractor, you've been misclassified. So if you've been misclassified, in, in, in Brady's case or any of our truckers' cases, that means a few things. Number one, it means that if you lose your job, you're owed severance. Why? Because you're really an employee. You've been misclassified as a contractor, but you truly are an employee. So you get severance. And that can be as much as 24 months pay, as much as 24 months severance. That's a significant amount of severance. It also means that right now, if you wanted to, you could pursue vacation pay and overtime Mm -hmm. because as an employee, you're owed those things. So, John, I see this very often. It's a very common situation with uh, truck drivers that they've been misclassified. Almost always they end up being employees. It's funny though, we talk about this all the time where they, you know, someone listening maybe, yeah, but Lior, you know, the, the owner's a buddy of mine, we agreed on this, either a handshake or a quick contract. I don't see the I don't see the problem. I'm happy with it. It's good, no? Well, it's good until it's not. And what I mean by that is <laughs> what happens if you get audited and CRA knocks on the door and looks at the, your arrangement and they realize, no, no, you really are an employee. You've been telling us you're a contractor, but you're an employee. Well, then there's going to be fines, back taxes, interest to pay. All of a sudden, things are not as good anymore. What happens if you lose your job? The company you work for is not going to pay anything. They're going to say you're a contractor. We don't pay anything. But what happens if you're actually owed a 20-month severance? Well, yeah. you're not going to feel things are good at that point, right? So I don't think that it's worth it to take that type of risk. It's up to you. But certainly, if you lose your job, if you lose your job, I don't care if you've been called a contractor or, or not. you got to call me because chances are you are owed severance. Crystal's good too. I know you're familiar with this and you've dealt with this before. She says, uh, Leo, I'm a private school teacher 
and my contract gets renewed at the end of the school year, well, the school just changed ownership, and I don't think they will renew my contract again. If that happens, can I get severance? So I've spoken and even represented many private school teachers over the years where what happens is they sign a new contract every year for the school year. Year after year after year, they sign a new contract and they continue. And many of them have worked at the same school for, for years. So are they really an employee on a contract? Well, here's the thing. Generally speaking, in most cases, after three or so contracts, they become meaningless. What I mean by that is after three contracts, you're considered to be a regular indefinite employee. So you're an employee that's indefinite, which means that contract is nothing. It's, it's not even worth the paper it's written on. And that's important because at that point, if you lose your job, if the company that you, or the school that you work for says, no, no, well, we're not going to renew, well, they owe you severance. Because it's not that the contract, that there's no contract at that point. You're, you're considered an indefinite employee. You are owed severance. So the first contract, sure, okay. The second contract, sure, no problem. But once you're at three or more, that's when the law says, no. Now, now your contract is meaningless. You're an indefinite employee. Now, John, that doesn't just apply to uh, private school teachers. It applies right. to anyone that keeps signing a, a contract after contract. Contract expires, they sign another one, expires, sign another one. Once you pass those three contracts, you are an indefinite employee. So for, for Crystal, yes, she is owed severance. If she's losing her job now. As long as she signed more than three contracts, yeah, of course she gets severance. And I don't know how long she's been there, but that could be months and months and months worth of severance. Well, I mean, you've, you've gone through this so many times. And we all know there's teachers out there that have been doing this maybe for decades, decades. And then finally they think, okay, well, I didn't sign a contract. I guess my work here is done. Thanks, guys. It's been a slice. Man, that could be a lot of well, severance. Earlier this year, actually, I represented a lady that was a private school teacher for 18 years. 18 right. years, a long time, right? And yes, her, her uh, principal said to her, we're not going to be renewing, so we wish you all the best. Thank you very much for your years uh, with us. But guess what? She was an employee, an indefinite employee at that point. And yes, she got severance. We resolved that on the basis of about 20 or 21 months of severance that she got. So yeah, it happens often. Uh, that's why the law makes it very clear that once you're at three contracts or more, it's done, it's over, you're an indefinite employee. So does the severance calculated from the three years on or from year one, including the first three? Excellent question. And it is from year one, from the wow. very, very beginning. So it's not, it doesn't start when the third contract kind of expires. So if, you're, if you've passed that three contracts, you're now an employee and your seniority goes back to when you first started your very first day. Let's get to Frank here. Another email. We got some time. Says, uh, guys, I applied for a job and went through two interviews after which I was offered the position two days before I was supposed to start. HR manager calls me, says, yeah, we're deciding not to hire after all. I'm extremely upset and I want to know if there's anything I can do about it. Well, yeah, I bet he's upset and I would yeah. be as well, right? I mean, you, you accept an offer, you're getting ready to start and then they pull the, pull the rug out from under you. So in terms of whether he's owed something here, it comes down to whether he lost something by accepting this job. So what I mean by that is, let's say he quit his old job. Well, I have a new offer. I'm accepting it, so I quit my old job. Well, now he lost something, right? He lost his old job. Or maybe he had another offer on the table and he decided to accept this one, so he lost out on that, that other offer. Well, if you've lost something because of the company's offer and then they take the offer off the table, well, they have to compensate you for your losses, 
now there's different ways to to determine what your losses are and how to calculate that. But bottom line is you could be owed several months pay even though you've never worked for the company a single day. Uh, and that happens all the time. We've done several of those cases over the years where someone gets an offer, accepts an offer, and then company changes its mind for whatever reason. And in that situation, yeah, the employee is absolutely owed a compensation. And that compensation in many cases is going to be tax-free because it's not income because they never worked for a company. So definitely, 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 Frank, in that situation, you run out call me because if you lost something, the company has to pay for it. Finally, Christina says, my employer has relocated our office two hours drive away, and I was told that I can get a ride with a colleague so I wouldn't have to drive if I don't want to. Do I have to accept the move? No. And another good question. So kind of my rule of thumb is this. Once uh, a move, a company relocation impacts you by more than an hour each way, so you now have to spend an extra hour more than you would otherwise before that move, we're now in constructive dismissal territory. So it's not about how far the company is moved. It's not about the number of kilometers. It's about how it impacts you. The more the impact is on you in terms of time, the more likely it is to be a constructive dismissal. And if it's two hours away, that's going to be a constructive dismissal every time. And the fact that her employers volunteered a colleague to give her a ride doesn't change that. So, yeah, she has then the option. She can continue working and try to figure out a way to get to work, whether it's driving or commuting with a colleague. Or she can simply say, that's a constructive dismissal. I'm leaving and getting severance. That decision is her, but two hours, John, is going to be a constructive dismissal every time. Yeah, hooking up with a colleague, that's also incredibly unreliable over time, so that wouldn't, that wouldn't wash anyway. It's been a, uh, it's been a great afternoon. Appreciate uh, you uh, sending your emails in and the phone call we got as well. You want to reach out now that we are done, you can do so to get a hold of Leodor and his team, 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address we've been using. And we always direct you to that website. First off, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There's information there. There's contact. Contact. There's education to be had. And of course, the severance pay calculator is also rolled into that website as well. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show.